Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, welcome to Parenting the Adlerian Way. I'm your host, Adlerian family counselor and parenting expert, Allison Schaefer. Each week, I answer your burning parenting questions to help reduce the stress of parenting one tip at a time. We'll explore Adlerian psychology together and learn methods of child guidance for raising a happy, confident, capable, resilient child. Hi, it's Allison. Welcome back to the podcast. I realize it's been a little while since we had a Q&A session, so thank you for your patience. Uh, we've had so many great guests, and we've had some summer holidays and some juggling around, but typically we try to do a Q&A session between two guests, so every third episode. We'll see if we can get that cadence happening for you again, so please keep sending in those questions. And as well, it really helps me out if you write a review. Uh, and for those people who may not have heard, although I've been shouting it from the clouds, we actually rated as the number one uh, podcast in the parenting category recently. So let's keep that up. So thank you very much. Um, very excited to get this information out to the world. So let's begin with our questions today. Uh, Hi, Allison. I'm hoping you might be able to answer this question on your next Q&A podcast. When my three-year-old daughter recently started daycare for the first time, we allowed her to take a teddy bear with her to help her feel more comfortable. I'm mindful that she is now becoming more and more dependent on having her teddy bear with her for comfort when she goes to daycare. It's been about six months since she started. So would love to hear an Adlerian perspective on this and how we might encourage her to go to daycare without one. Thanks so much. So thank you for the question. Although you've asked for an Adlerian perspective, whenever we're looking at behaviors, um, you know, we're trying to find out if something is a pro-social or, uh, or on the negative side of life. And we always have to do an overlay between whether or not the behavior meets the needs of the situation, whether it's repetitive, and uh, hold that up against the developmental milestones. So being cognizant that this is a three-year-old child who is um, successfully self-soothing Um, Although she is, um, I'm not sure what happens when she becomes more dependent. That makes me think that there might be an interaction there. And so is she just using this as a way to self-soothe? Because for a three-year-old, that's actually quite 
appropriate and how nice that she can use a teddy bear. Some kids can't self-soothe, so they have to like rub their mummy's hair or they have to have somebody hold them. So the fact that she can get on with what she needs to be doing, which is going to daycare, and she can self-soothe with her teddy bear at the age of three, I think that's an absolute fine coping strategy. Um, the uh, the dependent part makes me wonder if when you try to take it away, if there isn't some kind of kerfuffle. And I wouldn't want her to have this secondary learning that it started as I like taking my teddy bear to keep me calm and, and make me feel safe at school. But now I know that I can yank my mom's chain by her being all invested in trying to get this thing away from me. And I'm going to show her that um, that she can't win in this situation, which might make a three-year-old feel very powerful. So it could have a goal of power or a goal of attention-seeking. If it's making you worry, or if you're doing a lot of nagging and reminding about, we don't need a teddy bear, and aren't you getting to be a good girl? It might be a conversation starter, so it could be attention-seeking. I'm not really sure. So pay attention to those two things. Um, but but I would actually say that um, that it's that it's fine. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't worry about it. You could ask the teacher if you were going to do anything about it. I'd probably stop discussing at home. Let her take it to school, but have a sidebar conversation with the teacher, saying what happens to the teddy bear in class. Uh, does she keep it with her all the time? Does it stop her from using her hands to play? Is it impeding her in any way? Um, what is your policy around objects from home? How often does she have access to it? That kind of thing. And uh, and you might see if the teacher might say something like, oh, looks like you're really busy playing with your friend in the in the play kitchen. Um, why don't I put your teddy in your cubby so you know where it is at go home time? And just see through distraction if she can pop it away. Um, you know, I know that um, I never really, in the years that I was teaching nursery school, uh, 18 months to, to three-year-olds in my different classes that I taught, I never really had anyone that had an object that couldn't, uh, you know, just, you know, we would basically say, um, things from home need to go in our cubbies. And um, I never really had any pushback on that. Now, I'm sure if a parent said it, it would be a whole different situation. But somehow when the teacher says, no, you know what? In our classroom, we use the toys that are here. Um, you can go hug a teddy bear from our, our teddy bear selection. But we really didn't have kids bringing things from home. We didn't want to get into that whole you know, and they have circle time and show and tell and everyone's trying to impress everybody else and, you know, it gets kind of crazy. Um, anyway, so give that a go. I hope that, uh, hope that's helpful. Next question. Hi, Allison. I've been following you now for a while and I've seen you on multiple TV shows over the years. Last night while waxing my 12 year old daughter's arms, I noticed signs of cutting. The marks are faint, not too deep, but a few more are recent. They look more like light scratches than deep cutting. I'm in shock and I didn't expect this on my daughter. I asked what it was and she said it was from the dog. I did tell her that I realized it's not from the dog and we can talk about it later. I've given myself the night to process this and want to talk to her about it today. I'm scared. I don't know where this is coming from and why. How do I start the conversation? What do I ask? What do I stay away from? I would love some feedback and guidance going into this conversation. So thanks. Uh, I'm, you've probably had the conversation by the time you got this answer, so I hope it went well. But for others that are in the same boat or if you've, if you've been waiting for this reply, um, let me give you some background here. So um, uh, cutting is a form of non-suicidal self-injury. And um, no, those non-suicidal self-injury, the number one way people do it is through cutting. Uh, the second way is burning, burning themselves. And she falls into the absolute per perfect pattern of what typically happens. Um, the, there's about 15 to 17% of teen and university students who, um, who cut or burn. 
And uh, it starts usually around the age of 11 to 14. So she falls in the age group. Um, and uh, they usually hide it. It's not done for attention. They hide it. They don't want people to find out. Um, and, and they'll cover up the cat scratched me or they'll make up some excuse, which she did. So she, she's falling right into line with all the typical things that we see. Um, and I think it's important for parents to understand and to differentiate. I know you said they're light, not, not dark. Um, but there is a big difference between a suicide attempt or someone who is suicidal and somebody who is self-injuring. Um, that's not to say that of some people who had suicidal thoughts that they didn't find that, that the cutting actually helped them feel better. Um, and maybe didn't move on to suicide, but they are very, the intent when they sit down to cut or burn is not to end their life. The intent is something else. And so from an Adlerian perspective, we talk about the usefulness of behavior. What's the purpose of the behavior? Knowing that whatever the behavior the child has, has picked, in this case cutting, it, it in some way moves that child from a feeling of felt minus to felt plus. It makes them feel better to cut. And I know that sounds terrible because you're like, why would inflicting pain, how could that possibly be a better feeling? Well, what we find in these situations is that it's it's the creativity of the child um, to uh, solve the problem of some other kind of emotional dysregulation. So it could be that they're in so much pain from uh, from an emotional point of view. Most of these kids tend to be highly sensitive. They feel their feelings very deeply and they haven't learned self-regulation, emotional regulation. They haven't learned um, to uh, sit in distress, sit with distressful emotions. So there's a real skills component there. And there's also a cognitive piece to this too, because they often tend to have thinking patterns that are distorted and they tend to be very self-critical. So they, they beat themselves up and so they punish themselves. So if they think I'm so stupid or I shouldn't have done that or whatever, uh, cutting can make them feel better because then they punish themselves with the cut as, as if to, you know, this is how they, they deserve to be, they deserve to be cut for whatever mistake they made. Um, some people do it because they're so heartbroken, something bad happened. And if I cut, instead of feeling all, you know, um, sitting with these emotions, now I'm going to change my focus to this pain on my arm. And it, ma it makes the sort of anxiety, upset feelings go away as you shift your focus to pain, which they seem to tolerate the pain better than the upset uh, emotional feelings. Or kids who are really deep into to their emotions might go into that fight, freeze, uh, flee part. And when you're in freeze, one thing that... The, that we do is we numb. It's a way of managing the pain and feeling numb and robotic feels very scary for a child. And so when they cut, it actually kind of makes them remember, okay, I'm not a robot. I do have feelings. Uh, I am in, on this planet. So there's always a movement towards felt plus, but it is not about ending their lives. Um, in terms of what we do with this then is we want to get to what's going on underneath. What, why is life, why are they so self-critical? How can we help them change that? What's going on in their life that they're in such emotional distress and how can we solve those real world problems in appropriate ways and give them the skills to handle some distress management and handle big feelings and emotions. And, um, and you're only going to get that by listening. And this is what you're saying. If I go into that conversation, the most important thing is not so much about what you specifically 
ask, but more to create a platform that says, I understand that you're cutting. Um, I'm sure that means that, that there's big things going on in your world and you're having big emotions and this is how you're coping with them. And I'd really like to understand what it's like, you know, what's on your mind? What are the thoughts you're having? Um, what's the situation that you're trying to deal with on your own in this way? And see if you can just get her talking and just, you know, and it's important that we say these, ask these questions. It's the expression on our face. It's the, it's the fact that we're, we're really being open, accepting, listening, being non-judgmental, and holding that safe space for a child to, to breathe out and put words to what's going on for them internally. And, um, and some kids have a really hard time putting, putting words to their emotions and they have a hard time speaking about it um, especially with these younger kids so sometimes um you know we find that a more productive um road here is not just talking to mom and dad because it's it's probably gonna reveal maybe what's going on to a certain extent but really what it means is they probably need professional professional help and so um you know your family doctor can probably make a referral to a family counselor and uh, that family counselor will probably do some individual work as well but there's modalities that are expressive expressive modalities for those sort of less verbal or less willing to open up people um arts therapy play therapy sand trade therapy um those are all fine um you, you know we also see um dialectic um behavior therapy dbt is often um recommended for teens that have emotional regulation issues um of course you know me i'm a fan of adlerian psychology so i would <laughs> i would recommend the adlerian route and we would work with those children and get more of the back picture and understand more of them in context um but i also realize that not every area is going to be able to have access um uh, to to an adlerian trained counselor but it would certainly be in our wheelhouse and um um, I think that's the best, the best loving support and validating their feelings and letting them know that they don't need to feel this kind of discomfort and, and distress that there are professionals that can help them. And uh, those professionals will, will support you as a family. So I hope that goes well for you. Next one, dear Allison, thank you for your wonderful advice. We first picked up one of your books from a neighbor as we were walking our newborn and immediately the Illyrian approach made sense to us and we've been following you ever since. Our child is now almost three years old and quite strong. We have started having some trouble with him hitting, kicking, biting, and throwing things at people. It's not tantrum related, although he will do it when he's angry too, but it seems to be exper experimental. What reaction will I get if I do this? We think he's playing with power rather than attention seeking. He comes up to you with a neutral face and you're not sure if he's going to offer a kiss and a snuggle or a headbutt. He'll do it to random strangers too. And he will even run up to a baby in a stroller and whack it across the face. We've explained to him that it hurts, which he seems to understand, but now he thinks he can erase it all with a makeup kiss. We're trying to keep our reactions minimal but we can't help reacting with surprise, flinching, annoyance, or shouting ouch, all of which he enjoys. We are trying to engage more in appropriate physical active playtime and snuggling with him, which involves teaching him the limits of what is fun, and it ends if his behavior becomes unsafe for anyone. Are we missing something here? Is it really not great? It's really not great that he clobbers grandpa in the nose when they are reading together. <laughs> um, thank you. So, um, gosh, uh, I just want to acknowledge 
that um, I love that you've already begun thinking about some things here where you have, where you, here's what you've been noticing. You've, you're doing the diagnosis. Is this for attention or is this for power? You're paying attention to your reactions and responses and you're trying to keep them to a minimum so that you're not giving him payoff for what he's doing. So fantastic there. And as you say, what happens when we do all these things and we don't get the change and you think, ah, that's the whole, what are we missing? How can we, how can we speed this along? Um, so I really like just the general rule of, um, you know, that we're socializing a child to be a participant in the greater community in which he's expected to interact and uh, to properly socialize him. To your point, we don't hit people in the face. We need to feel safe. We need to respect other people's bodies and we need to feel safe. So he's, he's heard it. He's heard it, but he is still making that choice. So what I would say is we need the consequence for doing that um, to, to be something that he realizes that there's a benefit that if I restrain my hands, I get to stay and play and be with people. It sounds like a good people person. And if I don't, then I have to be away from people. I have to be isolated from people. So I lose being social, which is like one of the biggest consequences that you can think of. So this would be an example where I would use at, at this age and for this problem, I would use a timeout, but I would use an Adlerian timeout. And what I mean by that is I don't believe in the uh, three minutes or one minute for every age. Um, I, I really think that kids learn quickly. And what I really want them to do is just have a small experiential moment where they realize if I control my hands, I get to stay. If I hurt people and make them feel unsafe, I need to go. So I would just, you know, in my house, it was far enough away. The bottom step going to the upstairs of the house. I, I never took my kids to their room because the, the further away you make it, the bigger of a deal you make it. They grab the rungs of the banister and you end up with a bigger fight and it escalates. So just grabbing them by the hand, put actually, it's so interesting. If you put your hand out, they mostly put their hand in your hand. And so just offer up your hand and they'll uh, put their hand in your hand. And if they don't, then you can take their hand kindly as if you're going on a walk. Don't show anything in your, in your body language that says that you're angry. That's the part of firm and friendly. Firm is the doing it. Friendly is your attitude in doing it. It's you're just being a teacher. And you just take the child to the step and, and, you know, say, we need to feel safe in our house. Come back when you can play, play safely. Um, and they might pop right up off the stair, in which case I would say, oh, great. Sounds like you're ready to play safely. Now, if they do it a second time, um, right after, I might say, it looks like you're having trouble um, knowing when and when you aren't going to play safely. So we'll need to end this game um, and move on to the next thing. And I would give them a small amount of time on the step again three minutes maybe but that's by coincidence but just enough just enough time to get i would just get on with the next activity so if i was say for example um they bopped me and i was cleaning the, the toy room i would put them on the step and i'd say no nope, looks like you're having trouble uh, um uh, knowing when you're going to play safely so um we'll we'll try again later and then i would just sort of keep cleaning up the playroom and however long that took that they could see I go okay now let's let's get on to the next thing let's try again um some other consequences might be if they slap a baby in the stroller when you're out and say that's not okay we need to feel safe out in public we need to go home or if they're reading with grandpa and he gets bopped in the face and say nope you know what grandpa doesn't want to read stories with you anymore and I would stop stories time right in the middle of the book and it might even be that you um, say the next time when it's story time and it says grandpa wants to read to you, say, no, actually, last time grandpa got bopped in the face. And so um, he needs to feel safe when he reads to you. So we're going to skip today's 
um, book reading, but, but we'll try again tomorrow. You always want the next opportunity, but you can say, you know, we need to go to the park. We need to play safely. If we can't play safely, we're coming home and we won't go next time. So you can increase the um the amount of the consequence <laughs> uh like longer time longer you know maybe he doesn't get to read with grandpa two times in a row or something like that um and so uh, so that's that part and then the other thing that i think is important is that you know when you're only three years old and you're looking for ways to either seek attention or power and i think in this case the fact that he he smiles because you don't know when it's coming and he can shock and rattle you i, I think that does sound like power to me and when we see kids at this age, three, because, you know, what else do you have going on in your life where you can feel powerful? It's, it's hard. Um, but what we know is with power kids, what they're really trying to do is to solve for feeling insignificant. So I always joke that they're under, they're, they're underemployed. They need the, the power seeking child really needs to see the benefits and the, and the good feelings that come with pro-social power which is through helping out, through contribution. Uh, they want mastery. So what else could your three-year-old be working on to contribute to the household? Setting the table or, or you know, um, scrubbing the mushroom caps for the salad or anything like that. Helping to carry um, a small load of groceries from the car and help put it on the Lazy Susan. Anything like that, we just get him, get him helping and appreciating him for, for helping. And he will, you know, just think, you know, you're three years old. It's like, look at that. It's like, it's like when you're 40 and you learn how to put in a ceiling fan. You're like, look at me, look what I did. I feel great. I feel pretty mighty right now. So, um, so try try some pro-social uh, upping there too on his uh, on power. And last but not least, our last question is: Hi, Allison. Firstly, thank you so much for your parenting resource. Your advice has been so effective and has greatly improved my daughter's confidence. What is a logical consequence for chewing with your mouth open at meal times? Thank you. Well, great that you're um, going right to figuring out consequences. I don't know how old she is, but consequences aren't the only Illyrian tool by any stretch of the imagination. And with power hungry kids, often um, they're one of the worst. This is why we recommend family meetings. You know, hey, how can we all come together uh, and have a family meal and, and uh, be comfortable? Because when I see your food, it doesn't look so great. And um, it kind of turns me off, turns me off my meal. And it could very well be that she absolutely chews with her mouth closed when she's at school or when she's at a friend's house. Like she knows decorum, but she chooses not to practice it at home. So that would be an interesting question to see um, if it's selective or not. Um, but really, the idea here is that we really can't control children, right? We can't make them. We can't make them. That's a control model, and we will end up getting a, a, either a response of a kid who becomes a, a, a pleaser which has problems or they're going to overtly rebel or they're going to covertly sneak um so we don't really get the end goal of a child just choosing to cooperate with us and following the social uh, norms of our society that we eat with our mouths closed and um so how are we going to help her uh, see the social norms and the benefits and choose for herself? So instead of making her, how do we make her wanna? How do we make her wanna? How do we motivate her? Well, one of the ways we motivate her is that we don't tell her what her choice is going to be. Because that's, you know, you have to admit defeat. I, I can't make you eat with your mouth closed. Clearly, I, I've been unsuccessful to this point. I've, I've taught you everything I know. You know the rules, but you choose not to. So you are a free agent. You do you. 
I, I can't, I, I can't, uh, I can't make you, I, you know, you're, you're right. I can't, but it seems that you don't want to get along with me and, and I'm sorry for that. And, um, you know, I, I, I want to have a relationship where we want to get along with one another. And, um, so let me know how I can improve our relationship. Um, but until then, uh, well, I can't just make you do anything. I can't decide for you what you're going to choose, eat with your mouth open or closed, but I can decide for me what I'm willing to do and what I'm willing not to do. And I'm unwilling to eat at the table if I'm feeling uncomfortable about what I'm seeing. Chewing with open mouths is uncomfortable for me. So I may make the choice that the next time that happens, that I'll just find another place to eat my dinner and I'll just look after me. I, I can't I can't make decisions and control you, but, uh, but I can look after myself. So, um, and then see, and if she's She'll test you, but you can just pick up your plate and say, I'm sorry, I was really looking forward to a meal too. Keep it friendly. Remember, firm and friendly. Firm is the doing it. Friendly is the attitude. So you don't have to be like, oh, you're completely you're chewing. I'm, I'm storming out of here. Maybe if I storm out of here and eat somewhere else, then she'll learn. Then she'll figure it out because she's still going to see that as, see, mom's just trying another technique to try to control me, to get me to eat with my mouth closed. So I'm going to defeat her and let her eat in the other room. You got to do it in a really, the friendly part of firm and friendly is super, super important. You're, you're trying to change the dynamics. You're trying to get along. So keep it, keep it warm, keep it soft, keep it positive, but move forward with, with showing her what you will and will not do. And hopefully that will help. Yeah. Good. That is it for this week's Q and A and please submit your questions and hopefully this is helping. And I want to let you know I have an upcoming webinar. It is about parenting teens and tweens. Uh, we're going to look at this 10-year period of time where our kids undergo a tremendous amount of change. We're going to look at some of that change in their behavior and in their development and in their brain structures, etc., in their, their priorities. But we're also going to talk about how parents need to change to transition from being the parent of a preteen to the parent of a teen because our parenting styles and our methods for discipline need to change in this phase of life and often this is where parents end up with the the hiccup and the strain in their relationship so i'm going to show you some of those ways as well as talking about some communication pieces power struggles those sort of hot topics that come up time and time again with the teens uh, you know, wanting to be on their tech and the importance of friends and not doing homework and whatever other problems you kind of bring to the class. So there's a link in the show notes. It'll be recorded. So if you can't make the live event, you can certainly get the recording and um, hopefully we will see you there. As you know, it takes a village to make a podcast. So thanks to my team, including Max Cotter, my editor and technician, as well as the crew at H2O Digital. This podcast was recorded in Toronto, Canada. We acknowledge the land we are meeting on is the traditional territory of many nations, including the Mississaugas of the Credit, the Anishinaabek, the Chippewa, the Haudenosaunee, and the Wendat people, and is now home to many diverse First Nations, Inuit and Métis. We also acknowledge that Toronto is covered by Treaty 13 with the Mississaugas of the Credit. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. 
With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.